Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Offside Rule. We get it. Brought to you by a Wolves fan, a Manchester United fan and a Liverpool fan. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Offside Rule podcast. And it's not the usual service. We haven't got the usual lineup. It's myself, Lindsay Hooper. Next to me, Miss McQueen. And we are joined this week by Sarah J. Me. Hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, very excited to be here. A little bit nervous, actually. I listen to you girls every week and now I'm in here in the studio doing the podcast with you. So I hope I do Kate justice. Oh, you will do. We're very excited as well to have you on and uh, talk about things. And coming up later at topic three, what I want to kind of <laughs> introduce you to, we've got lookalikes. So we've got love childs of two celebrities. So you've got to pick a footballer who you think could be the love child of two different people. This was great fun. I love doing it. I've sort of taken a bit of creative license with this. It's like one of those creative exercises you used to get at school, and I haven't used that part of my brain in quite a while. So I've taken a bit of artistic license with mine. When you actually hear mine, you might think, oh, I'm not sure about that. I tell you what, get on Google and you'll be like, well, blow me down. <laughs> <laughs> Topic two, we also have U-turns. Um, so we're going to do U-turns because one of the big stories, who expected on, on deadline day that Leeds United would sack Brian McDermott for the next day to say actually he's still at the club uh, which made us think of big U-turns in football so I've asked you to rat your brains for a couple of examples Uh, but we're going to start with transfers Uh, no refund needed Um, this is your remit another transfer window is now closed so across the leagues there have been transfers going on all over the world but I want your best three transfers from three different leagues so you can use the Premier League but then you might go abroad you might go down the lower leagues whatever you want to do Um, we're going to start as we always do with Hayley Okay, I'm going to start with a name who I may have selected as someone to watch, as someone who may set the championship alight. And it's Emmanuel Fringpong, because who'd have thought this promising academy youngster who had the world at his feet and set the Premier League alight. No, that hasn't happened. He's found himself at Barnsley, struggling at the bottom of the championship. What happens? Makes his debut and gets sent off. (laughs) And as we were just discussing before the podcast with Sarah Jane and uh, Lindsay, very funny because... um, The papers all picked up on it because of his reaction on Twitter. And he came out and said, how am I going to get the girls now with three little crying, smiley, not so smiley faces? I want to ask him, what's wrong with the Barnsley girls? He has got his own fashion label as well, hasn't he? What was it called? Stay Dench or something? (laughs) The girls love fashion in Barnsley. They'll be all over him. What's he worried about? So Frimpong could have been one of those players that we would look out for, but absolutely not. Not after making his debut. God knows how his career is going to turn out. But what about the career of Joe Ledley? A man who hasn't had much competition up in the uh, Scottish leagues, of course, in the Premiership up there. It's just Celtic, 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 absolutely storming it. So he has come down and joined many players at Chris Palace. I think it's going to be a really exciting time for them. I tipped them as uh, one of the sides to go down, but actually looking at the signings that have been made and the way that they're coming together under Pulis, I'm really impressed by what's happening there. He's not exactly a goal-scoring sensation though, is he? But he has scored spectacular strikes at times and is a real threat from inside the box, particularly with set pieces as well as has been demonstrated throughout his season at Celtic. They weren't going to lose him for a free in the summer. So actually Celtic have done some really good business by making sure that they let him go. So we'll see how it goes. 
My word of warning would be Gary Hooper at Norwich because that happened, you know, there was so much bigging him up in, in Scotland about his move down to the Premier League. You know, it's going to be amazing. He's going to be one to watch. Coming to Norwich, he's not really done it, has he? I mean, maybe he's sort of bedding into the squad and he seems to be a lot more settled than he than he was, but he certainly didn't come straight away and start scoring. It's all about the players around you, isn't it? Clubs like Crystal Palace and Fulham have brought in an influx of players, players that can all do a job for that team at this time and they're at the wrong end of the table. And I think the players that both clubs have brought in have all got points to prove mm. and they've got something to play for, the survival. And it's a good shop window for them yeah. if they don't want to stay at Crystal Palace or Fulham. Which is exactly what's happening at Sunderland as well at the bottom of the table. It's about the players around them. Adam Johnson in absolutely fine form at the moment. Gus Poy is looking to get the best out of his players. So what has he done? He's gone back to Brighton and picked the players that he thinks can do him the job to keep the side up. And actually, they're not doing too badly. They have been over-reliant on certain players in the past. You look at them kind of relying on Fletcher and what have you. However, with Liam Bridcut coming in, I think he's going to be a player which is going to be really, really exciting. More so than perhaps Joe Ledley. But yeah, I, th- I think Liam Bridcut is going to be a really exciting player. And uh, that's that. I'll rush on because Danny Graham is my third player. Middlesbrough have this knack of bringing back players who've left Middlesbrough when they were too good to be at this lowly side team. Go elsewhere and don't quite cut it. Stuart Parnaby, one of those. Jonathan Woodgate, prime example. They're both back at the club and they're very much a hometown team who like to bring back their hometown talent. Danny Graham, yes, he's from Newcastle, but he was brought up through the academy at Middlesbrough and he's gone back there. Another player who's had a bit of a Torres, can't seem to score, no matter where he is. He had a couple of really great seasons at Watford and Carlisle, but since then hasn't really done much. But he's back at home. I think he's going to settle in very nicely at Middlesbrough. I don't think they're a team that you know, you're looking to get promoted this season, but they're certainly looking ahead. No Tony Mowbray anymore, but I think with um, a new manager in charge from Real Madrid, he kind of even realises that it, it is a very much a community club. And he has even taken on board... Um, as you would do as a manager, notes from scouts, etc. Not just bringing in players from lower down in the leagues in Spain that he might know, but thinking, OK, I'll give Danny Graham a bit of a chance, rediscover his goal-scoring form, and I think he's definitely one to watch out for. Um, I'm just realising as well, SJ, do we know who even you support? Tottenham. Ah. Yeah, it is out there. I get a lot of tweets saying, who do you support, who do you support? And mm-hmm. I never normally say, because often those people tweeting in know already and they're Arsenal fans so I don't want to open the floodgates uh, for all that kind of Twitter banter uh, if you can call it that but yes I'm a Spurs supporter Okay, so what what have you made of their season so far? Well it's been up and down I think Tim Sherwood's uh, been a great uh, signing as manager bringing him in he's someone who knows the club inside out Um, had a little bit of a wobble recently Uh, but I think he's going to take us into the top four I'm really confident and with Spurs in mind have you gone for any Spurs players in your transfers it's over to you now SJ do you know what they didn't bring in anyone in January (laughs) did they they said we're too good we don't need to bring anybody in Um, I'm going to pick up with something that Hayley said actually about players going back to clubs that love them to rediscover form Um, my first pick uh, is a great bit of business I think from Paul Dickoff at Doncaster Rovers it's not Louis Tomlinson one Directioners, who, of course, uh, makes his debut in the South Yorkshire Derby on February the 22nd. No, 26th even. Yeah, it is a sellout. Uh, it is the return of Billy Sharp. I just love the story behind this move. It's the romantic in me. It's his third spell uh, with the club. He's on loan um, from Southampton to the end of the season as they battle to beat the drop. Rovers and Sharp have a special bond. He was at the club when he lost his son, Louis, to illness. Uh, he returned to action for the club a few days later against Haley's Middlesbrough, actually. And he scored that goal, the goal from heaven. And he said that the 
support he received from the Doncaster Rovers fans was instrumental uh, into his return uh, to football. Um, these two need each other, I think. It's like the Ross and Rachel of f- football. They always come back to each other. Sharp said at Southampton he was falling out of love with the game because he's had lots of temporary moves and injury setbacks since joining Southampton. Um, and Doncaster at the bottom of the table and contemplating life in League One. Um it's real Roy of the Rovers stuff. I think they'd won one in eight before he arrived. Three without defeat now since he's been back. Two wins in a draw. And he scored, scored the goal in that draw that took them out of the bottom three. This man can inspire the club and keep them up, I'm sure. And the thing is, for every goal he scores for Doncaster, there's a, a fans um, organisation that are going to donate £50 uh, to the charity he set up in his son's memory. Um, so I think it's great for Doncaster Rovers that they've got you know a fan's favourite back uh, to help them score goals to keep them up and I think it's great for Billy Sharp as well somebody who said he was falling out of love with a game has gone back to a club that he has such a strong bond with and he'll do everything he can to keep them up so I think that was a great bit of business from Paul Dickoff going back to what Hayley said about a club that recognises um, players that will work for that club because they love that club not just that they'll come in and do a job anymore now you did say um, signings from all the leagues. I've gone for another one in the championship. I clearly didn't read the instructions properly. Um, I've gone for Patrick Bamford, who's on loan at Derby County from Chelsea um, until the end of the season. Uh, now, he's a very exciting player. We know him from the England under-21s team. He was on loan at MK Dons last season. He's described as a young Fernando Torres. I mean, he scored 17 goals in 30 games at the MK Dons. Uh, on his debut, three assists and he won a penalty. He's got pace, creativity. He's a natural goal scorer. He's been described as a young Fernando Torres. Although because he's English, you could describe him as a young Gary Lineker or Shearer. You don't mind being described as a young Fernando Torres. You don't want to be the sort of late 20s Fernando Torres, do you? No, exactly. I think the young was written in bold and underlined yeah. in some of the reports that I've read. Um, but since joining Derby, he's got four goals in five appearances. Not that Derby are short of goals at the moment. It's at the back they're having problems. Um, I just think with uh, Derby County pushing for promotion uh, to the Premier League, I just think it's a really exciting time. It's an exciting time for Rams fans to be able to go and see some somebody like Patrick Bamford who's a young, up-and-coming England striker who really wants to be in that Jose Mourinho Chelsea team. So he's showcasing himself at Derby. You're going to see all sorts from him. And I think he's one to watch the future, not just for Chelsea fans, Derby fans, but also for England fans as well. I know that you've got one more. I think we cut you off in your prime, Haley, on Liam Bridcut. Anything more to say about him? No, it's just because um, I like, obviously, the fact that he's Scottish. And that's why I picked him. <laughs> and there was, there I'm was, glad I gave you the microphone yeah. back. No, my, my point was with the Bridcut, it's just, it just sums up how exciting the, the, the championship is as well. And when you look at the Premier League at the moment, you just can't predict anything. Sunderland against Newcastle. I mean, who'd have thought that Sunderland would actually go and win and in the manner that they did and actually Bridcup played a really integral part in that. Yes, he didn't score any goals, but he was very much the heart of the midfield. Um, I just think it's going to be really exciting. So he was my main one to pick. And again, it was just to emphasise relationships and trust between managers and players. And when you see a manager who's gone to a team who then goes back and dips back into the club that he's left to take a player just shows how much he believes in that player and how much a player believes in the manager to make a massive life change. I mean, going from the south coast in Brighton right up to the northeast, which isn't one of the most glamorous of areas, I think it's a really big job that Gus Poyet's done in, in talking him into doing that and, and I hope the move does go down well for him. So we've got one more to come from SJ. I tell you what, just to break it up, otherwise you're going to have me waffling on for ages. <laughs> um, I'll give you one of mine and 
and then we'll come back over to you, SJ. Um, I'm going to go with one for the future. Um, I thought that this transfer, not for this season, and despite what newspaper reports say, not for next season even, but for two years' time, I think this player is going to be the next John Terry. Um, and his name is Kurt Zuma. It's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> Hayley and I both pulled a, a face there. It depends, uh, not on the ladies' uh, area. I think this is more on the football pitch, but um, not on the love childs that we're coming to later. Um, Kurt Zuma, so he moved from Saint Etienne to Chelsea for £12 million and then Jose Mourinho straight away let him go back on loan until the end of the season back to St Etienne with the view being that he comes and starts playing regular team football for Chelsea next season and as I said at the top of this my my caveat really is that I don't think that's perhaps going to happen next season he's still only 19 years old he's still got a lot to prove I think but there is massive massive potential for this player Um, he's coming in at 16 years old he'd already been capped by France and there's not many players that have had that that. Um, he's been banded around as sort of the next Desailly. Um The Guardian actually has him as the one, one of the 10 most promising young players across the whole of Europe. He really has got the accolades. Whether he's going to live up to this, I believe he will. Please don't let me down, Zuma. Um, but he is one of those players that um, has got everybody talking. Jamie Carragher here at Sky Sports has said that he will be the replacement for a big name Chelsea defender. I'm alluding to that, that I think it will be John Terry. I guess it could also be someone like like Ivanovic as well, but after that goal that he scored to beat City, who saw that result? Talking of results coming. <laughs> you didn't like that one, Hayley. Um, also, he's so he's gone back to, to playing League 1 until the re- end of the season, but I think when he comes back to Stamford Bridge, um, he's he's going to really be trying to play for, for regular first-team football. So Chelsea fans, Zuma is one to watch. Um, my next one is Jorginho to Napoli. Um, so this is Rafa Benitez bringing in a sign. Um, Georgie Thompson making a move back to the UK. Jorginho <laughs> signing again. To Napoli. Woo-hoo. Oh, for Napoli. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, this Brazilian midfielder, the reason why I've chosen Jorginho, um, now all I can think of is Georgie Thompson. It's hilarious. Um, he's scored seven goals in 18 appearances this season and he helped promote Verona to climb up to six in the Serie A table. And actually, Rafa Benitez needs that sort of player now. He needs, he's sort of looking over his shoulder at Napoli, at the teams coming up behind. And I think this is the sort of player that can make a real difference. That's why I chose uh, sort of an Italian switch. He's only 22. He's contributed to seven goals. He's also really good on assists as well. I think at a cost of 5.5 million, and I think that is in euros, but I'm not sure. I presume it would be in euros if it's over in Italy. Um, I think that's a real steal. So Rafa Benitez perhaps doing good business over in Italy. And that's enough from me for now. We'll go and get your last one, SJ. Well, for me, the January transfer window is all about plugging gaps. I mean, nobody goes into January, apart from Manchester United and Juan Mata, with making a, a signing that being good for them for seasons to come. It's normally all about those emergency transfers, those on-loan signings. Um, and Hayley was talking about Crystal Palace earlier. Mine is uh, a Fulham signing, Costas Matroglu from Olympiakos. Uh, 13.3 million. Now, for me, Fulham did some of the best signings uh, in the January transfer window along with Palace but let's face it they needed to uh, Mitroglu stands out not just because I like saying his name and I hope to be saying it every pre- Premier League weekend um, 
a lot of clubs have been envious of this signing because Fulham have been very goal shy. Um, in fact, they've been so shy, I don't think they've actually been able to look directly at the goal this season without turning bright red and falling apart. Um, but Mitroglou is Greece's number one footballing weapon. He's one of the most informed strikers in European football. I mean, he ditched UEFA Champions League football with Olympiakos and a tie with Manchester United for a relegation battle with the Cottagers. Um, it's expensive, but he knows where the net is. He got a Champions League hat-trick as recently as October uh, and this is a player who could link up well with Lewis Holtby and, and just turn Fulham's season around. I think he'll fit in well with all those other signings that Fulham have got because let's face it, it's a battle now for clubs like Fulham and Crystal Palace. It's about players they can get in that will do a job in certain areas and all work well together. And with a signing like John Heitinger as well, they've got players of experience that can come into Fulham and just do a job and hopefully keep them up. I think the players that they've brought in Fulham, I think you're right, they've made some really good signings. My fear for them is manager out of his depth, Rene Mullenstein. Just don't get it. He's a coach that got lucky. I know yeah. Rene, actually. He's a really lovely guy, but even I was shocked when suddenly he was put in a position of management. Mike Phelan, yes. Rene Mullenstein, not too sure. My final one, very quickly, is for a team that I've actually covered reporting quite a lot this season. They seem to be my team that I'm always going to watch. In fact, a few Millwall fans keep um, tweeting me saying um, I'm a bad luck home, and I think they think that when I go, they lose. That's not the case. I could give you the stats I won't bother. Um, Millwall have signed Simeon Jackson on a deal um, until the end of the season. Now Simeon Jackson we may recall from him when he was at Norwich great little striker loved his movement and I thought he showed a lot of promise. I think he will make a big difference because from watching Millwall they're great at getting up the field and great on the counter attack especially when they're at home but they need that player that can then convert that and and get a goal in the back of the net. So um, former Gillingham striker he's joined um, back with Ian Holloway and it was Ian Holloway's fifth sign signing in January, which is quite a lot. I think Millwall will survive this season and I think he's gone there to keep them up and he will do. Hi, I'm Matt Letizia and you're listening to The Offside Rule three girls talking about football. Um, let's go on to topic two first before we get on to our love childs. Um, what we wanted to talk about was U-turns. So um, I'm going to ask you both just either for one or two examples in football where there's just been a change of heart and it's been quite glaringly obvious and what are you doing? Uh, we'll start this time with SJ. Um, okay, well, my first one is about football players who really should have paid more attention in their geography lessons. I'm talking about Everton favourite David Unsworth, who joined West Ham from the Toffees, but then decided it was too far from his family on Merseyside. Uh, so he said he wanted to leave East London to be closer to them. So he chose Aston Villa <laughs> in the Midlands, not the Northwest. In fact, it's nowhere near Merseyside. He obviously took a look at the map, thought that looks close, but clearly didn't realise that maps aren't to scale. So just over a month, I think he was at Villa Park, he handed in another transfer request. Luckily, Everton were willing to pay the three million that Villa parted with a sign from West Ham, which in turn allowed him to return to Merseyside without ever having pulled on a Villa shirt. I'm still not convinced, actually, that his geography is any good because... After leaving Everton, he had spells with Portsmouth, Ipswich, Sheffield, Wigan, Burnley and Huddersfield. (laughs) Um, Hayley, what's yours? Okay, well, a couple of big ones that made the headlines, of course. Wayne Rooney, Manchester United, knowing that he wanted to go to Chelsea or knowing that his agent perhaps wanted him to go to Chelsea, make big bucks, head there, but no, had a change of heart, stayed with Manchester United. Paul Scholes as well, coming out of retirement decides, hanging up his boots, that's it. Sir Alex Ferguson, good on him. Managed to talk Wayne Rooney 
into signing back for United, managed to top Paul's goals into coming out of retirement too. Just how persuasive must Sir Alex have been? <laughs> Rooney, I mean, you can't tell me he's a, he's a man that, you know, changes his mind easily. And Paul Scholes actually coming out of retirement. He had his feet up, drinking tea and biscuits, all the thing that, things that footballers aren't allowed to do. Sir Alex must be one persuasive man. Mine, actually, it's, it's a little bit sad, a change of heart, because uh, sadly this man passed away mm. in the last week. Louis Aragonis, the former Spain national team coach who had managed in pretty much nearly every Spanish team up and down the leagues for many years but he he passed away in the last week and I've, I've put him down here because obviously being topical because of that but topical because of what he achieved and I started to read through the stats because obviously on air you get the line that that news like this happens and it's really sad and you kind of start to read through some of the bits of information to make sure that you you really give a good account of the person and let the nation know how good this person was and that we should be celebrating their life even though you're, you're, you're obviously bringing this news of sadness. I was kind of looking thinking wow he really did achieve so much but one story that obviously stood out that I remembered was um he said he was going to quit, handed in his resignation following a defeat to Northern Ireland before Euro 2008. They lost 3-2 and um, there was a poll actually in a Spanish newspaper, Marca, where 100,000 fans wrote on the newspaper's website when it was a poll, should he resign or should he stay? 80% called for him to resign. So he thought, right, I'll take note. I'm going to resign. We're not even going to qualify for the Euros this year. He had a bit of a change of heart. He went away, had a few days thought, came back and thought, no, do you know what? I can do this. Not only did he come back and take charge of the national side, he then went on to win the tournament. I mean, what a turnaround and a change of events from someone who thought that that was it. His time had finished. He was going to completely walk out in defeat to Northern Ireland of all sides as well. And he he actually said... um, I originally thought I should resign just because of that bad result. I was so hurt by it. But the Spanish Football Federation just wouldn't accept it. I thought I would resign right up until five o'clock in the afternoon. I sat down with my assistants, but the Spanish Football Federation talked me out of it. I had a bit of time to think and I went with them. Wow. That is a beautiful football fairy tale. And what I'm about to tell you is far from it. Because <laughs> I'm going to bring up the words Joe Kinnear <laughs> at Newcastle. So this is a man who is promising all these things. He's promising Champions League football. He comes director of football at Newcastle. Mike Ashley brings him back to the club. By the way, wasn't popular as a manager. Now, I know he had ill health as well, but he really wasn't popular before that as a manager at the club. So he wasn't a very um, good appointment from the beginning really Uh, he told media when um, they were quizzing him judge me on my signings and now we can because he's resigned and he signed nobody (laughs) Um, you say nobody some people might go actually actually I'll give you the specifics there were two loan signings under his time uh, Lloyd Gremmy and Luke de Jong and both were already known to Ashley and manager um, Alan Pardew so they don't get credited to Joe Kinnear so Joe Kinnear someone who promised everything and did he do a U-turn? Yeah, he did. He U-turned out there, didn't he, in his car in the car park? Yeah. That's what he did. Well, he was a handbrake turn more than a U-turn, <laughs> wasn't it? Um, any more? Well, I've got another one. It's fairly recent, actually. We'll probably all remember this, but it made me laugh so much at the time I had to bring it up. And it's Peter Odenwingy. Yeah. Uh, now, thanks to Sky Sports News and Twitter, we got a real insight into just how farcical the transfer window can be. Um, 
Peter Odenwingy in the phantom move to QPR, he literally had to make a U-turn because, do you remember, he drove himself down from West Brom on transfer deadline day to Loftus Road. He announced it on Twitter and off he went down the M1. He literally arranged his own unveiling at Loftus Road in front of the Sky Sports News cameras outside the ground. I think he even gave an interview. I can't remember who the reporter there was that night. It was about eight o'clock, I remember watching at home. But West Brom found out, because obviously West Brom have got a Twitter account and must follow all of their players. They issued a statement saying, no agreement's been made, you're not going anywhere. So QPR, of course, literally have to lock the doors at Loftus Road to keep Peter Road and Wingy out and saying, you can't come in, you can't come in. Um, I mean, people watched open-mouthed on Sky Sports News and on Twitter as well. I'll always remember Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain even tweeted, does Odin Wingy need somewhere to stay tonight it was incredible so can you imagine poor Peter Oden Wingy that long lonely drive up the M1 back to West Bromwich Albion and going into training the next day I mean he said goodbye to everybody the day before all the players all the staff and then having to go back and say he was sorry it's the one big story from transfer deadline day of, of recent years that people always remember and, and that and Harry Redknapp winding down his car window I think people love the Oden Wingy story but I actually heard that Oden Wingy is a massive fan of deadline day and watches did you hear this? I think he just wanted to part in the grand <laughs> story and thought, I know, I'm going to concoct a plan so that I am the main headline and I'm not going anywhere. Do you know what? I think he was in cahoots with Jim White. We know how Jim White has everyone on the phone. Jim White rings up Harry Redknapp. It's not the other way around and says, Harry, do something so I can talk about it on air. He probably did the same to Odin Wingy. <laughs> Maybe. Um, I'm going to finish with Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, going to rewind to the summer of 2001. And this, quote unquote, comes from the mouth of Sir Alex Ferguson. The decision has been taken. I'm going to leave the club. I'm disappointed with what's happened because I was hoping something would be sorted out. It hasn't happened as I thought it would. And that's all that there is to it. Bang. Door shut. 2001. We know that didn't happen. <laughs> um, which meant that United required a new manager. Sven Joran Eriksson was in the line, wasn't he? Do you remember? Yes. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> in the frame for it as well. My word. He's probably could have been the only person that could replace Sir Alex. <laughs> <laughs> um, apparently it was just this fiery relationship that um, Fergie had with the board, but they patched up. Next winter, he signed a new deal until 2005. That went on even further, as we know. He only resigned last year. Um, and Sven's move to Old Trafford was cancelled. And Sven, he must be gutted about that. Where is he now? I actually don't know. Oh, he's still on, he's still on the um, working, I'm trying to get a job wheel. Oh. <laughs> so every time the, the bookies odds come in, he's usually about second or third on the list, isn't he? Okay. We'll take a quick break. Uh, Twitter Topic of the Week this week. Um, here's Sean Thorne. Twitter Topic of the Week. Hello, it's Sean here with this week's Twitter topic of the week. Now, Lucas Podolski returned to the Arsenal squad after injury to several tweets of goodwill from his teammates. So we thought we'd ask you guys, who through the ages have been your favourite footballing personalities of the dressing room? Now, Chris Dixon's tweeted in with Neil Warnock. Loved his controversy. Called El Hadjou for sewer at when he was QPR boss and then signed him for Leeds. I think only Neil Warnock could pull off something like that. I think you can say El Hadjou was a pretty controversial character in himself. Chris has also gone for Cluffy and Keane, especially after Cluffy chinned Keane for giving the ball away in a cup game for Forrest in 91. Hashtag classic. Six Music Chris has gone for Mario Balotelli, Mad Dog Martin Allen and Razor Ruddock. Uh, Ed Scott has gone for Gaza, Des Lynam, Bill Kenwright and you three girls as well. I don't know what you're after, Ed. Uh, Alan Sari has gone for 
past Ronaldo and present Ronaldo. Obviously a big Ronaldo fan. And Thomas, he's given us a few examples of footballing deviants here. He's told us about Reading legend Robin Friday, stole some monuments from a cemetery and also a live swan. And this next one's an insane one. I've never heard this and it might be my favourite football story of all time. But according to Tom, uh, ex-Wolves QPR and Millwall centre-half Brian Law nicked a bus while he was at Wolves, but then just went on to live in a hippie commune in India. Insane scenes. No mentions of Jimmy Bullard, which surprised me a little bit. Thanks to everyone who got in touch. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod, and I'll hand you back to the girls. Thanks very much to Sean for Twitter Topic of the Week. And he was talking about characters in the dressing room there, some great ones. Uh, this can link in nicely because these would be great characters in the dressing room. <laughs> these love children we've made up. Um, I asked you both um, to think about footballers who would be the love child of two famous people, preferably male and female, because it has to work that way reproductively, I'm afraid. Um, and we're looking at many examples. Just give me what you've got. Explain your choices. I'll start you off. I've got Raheem Sterling. Luther Vandross mixed with Cheryl Cole and I'm going to give you the reasons why look at you both your faces right if you look into Raheem Sterling's eyes those dark dark eyes you can see a bit of Cheryl Cole's eyes in there I promise you but the the lips and the face and everything Luther Vandross see I thought you were going to say that you knew he was a really good singer because Luther Vandross has got some pipes Cheryl Cole's not bad either, but, you know, I thought you were going to say you knew he could sing or something. Oh, well, maybe he does. I'll try and find that out. Um, Hayley? OK. I just want to mention a player. He's been one of my favourite players in terms of not looking like a footballer. Danny Osvaldo, <laughs> Southampton. When he turned up for that signing, he looked like Jack Sparrow. Not, not Johnny Depp, actually Jack Sparrow. Now, obviously, he's left Southampton, gone to Italy, and he turns up in this other very kind of... Very quirky outfit, I think you'd have to say. So I've gone for him. He's Argentinian and Italian as well, so he has very striking looks. But he is a spitting image of Johnny Depp. I will put a couple of pictures up on Twitter, but I just thought he could be the love child. If you're a fan of Game of Thrones, this is a gay couple, by the way. Cow <laughs> Droog of the uh, Game of Thrones and Jack Sparrow. What one What one from Game of Thrones? The, the man who has the gorgeous girl. Oh, the one... Oh, long, dark hair, big, bulging muscles in season one. How could I forget? Yes, gorgeous. Him. I've got a picture, girls. There we go. Look look at the uncanny likeness. Cal Drogo, that's it. Spot on. Um, My silence there was because I don't watch Game of Thrones. Um, I'm going to throw in another one. We'll get one from you, Sarah Jane. Samir Nasri. Samir Nasri. This is good. This is really good, I promise you. (laughs) <laughs> Look at you both. You don't you don't believe it's gonna be, do you? We're on the edge of our seats with anticipation. Michael McIntyre and Winona Ryder. If you mix those two faces, you get Sammy and Nasri, I promise you. There must be a mobile phone app that makes this happen. If you put in yeah. two celebrities, it does a face mash <laughs> and we can see what you're talking about. But if there's not, I tell you what, girls, <laughs> we're on to something. <laughs> Quick in the podcast, we've got another business to run. Uh, uh Sarah Jane, what's yours? Okay, I'm, you're going to need a bit of artistic license with mine, I think. Um, the first one I've gone for is Joey Barton. Uh, now, Joey Barton, I think, could have been the love child of the wild child relationship of the 90s. Sean Penn and Madonna. 
in my best Joey Barton French accent. He could have been the enfant terrible of these two controversial stars. Clearly lacking his dad's acting talent, obviously, with that um, accent. Definitely got his mum's, though. Uh, Just like mum and dad can't stay out of the headlines. Uh, I think he looks a bit like Sean Penn, actually. He's also prone to a few scraps and scuffles in front of the cameras. And he's not afraid to take on anyone on or off the pitch. Um, His opponents, Lineker and Shearer on Twitter, the cast of Towie, have even been the subject to his Twitter rants. And his mum, Madonna, she's taken on the likes of Russian President Vladimir Putin, the Catholic Church and the French far right. So, you know, they're, they're not afraid of being up for a scrap, that family. So that's where I was going with that. I think he looks like Sean Penn, but he's very much got the attitude of the both of them. I've got Joey Barton getting together with Lindsay Lohan and producing Justin Bieber. <laughs> just because I can... If you just said to me, Justin Bieber, secret father, Joey Barton, you'd think, oh, yeah... Makes sense, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, wild, talented, well-travelled and always making the headlines for perhaps the wrong reasons. Uh, another of mine, Fellaini. You, you can't miss Fellaini out of you this. You can't have a looky-likey without Fellaini being yeah. in there. There are so many, I love it. Kate Borsay, who's missing this week, has sent hers in for that one, oh. which is quite harsh, I think. Okay. Well, I think Fellaini actually looks like Screech from Saved by the Bell mixed with Diana Ross. That is very similar to what Kate Borsay suggested, <laughs> but you're right. Um, I think Screech is bang on there. Kate say and got Diana Ross as well with Big Bird from the Muppets. Oh, that's quite harsh, Kate. <laughs> yeah, Kate <laughs> and I've got I've got Brad Friedel as well. Brad Friedel's parents, although age-wise, it probably couldn't happen. Although I'm not too sure how old Anne Robinson is. I've got Anne Robinson and Bruce Willis. <laughs> oh, I love that. Because that's brilliant. Brad's got no hair, so we don't know if he does have a, a touch of the strawberry blondes. But she is a hard nut, and he looks very, very similar to Bruce Willis. I can imagine these two getting together and producing the man in between the sticks, the hard nut that is Friedel. So here you go. Uh, I've got another one which was suggested by Kate. This is this is quite mean. We have to bear in mind that Kate's a Liverpool fan, I guess. When we say that she's gone for David Moyes looks like a love child of Gollum and Yoda. So cruel, Kate. She's got a real mean streak this week. I think it's probably because she's being brave and she's not here in this room. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she's gone for it. Um, My final one. I love this, by the way. And everybody knows that this is the case. We've already mentioned him, but it's who I've teamed him with. Um, Sven Joran Eriksson, I think, is an amalgamation of a former lover, Ulrika Johnson and Mr Burns. That is good. I like that one. Okay. Any more for any more? Are we leaving it there? I've really got a random one here because I was really struggling to think. So you need some imagination for this one um, and a time machine. I've gone for Jose Mourinho after his tactical masterclass on Monday night in beating the title contenders at Manchester City. Um, Jose Mourinho is the son of Albert Einstein. But with his flamboyant stage show on the sidelines in the technical area and his post-match chat, his mother could be Lady Gaga. Just imagine his moves on the touchline set to her music, the waving of the arms, the jumping up and down. You add in some fireworks and get the backroom staff to dance along with him. He's just like his mum. And I didn't see the arrival shots um, before the game at the Etihad. So Mourinho could have arrived in an egg. Could have been wearing a meat dress under that puffer jacket. Who knows? And um, they say there's a fine line between genius and madness. And I think Mourinho's got a foot in both camps. Last game of the season, I'd love to see him on the touchline dressed as a fried egg. You know, like a la Katy Perry. Yes. 
We do invite you to get your own love children to us. You can get in touch via the Twitter account at Offside Rule Pod. Also, the website, we're going to put up some of these pictures. Um, Rich Laverty, who's our website editor, is going to have a field day with these. Um, and you can decide which ones you think are really good. So go to OffsideRulePodcast.com. We're out every single Thursday. A big thank you to Sarah Jane Mee for joining us this week. Thank you. I've had a fantastic time, girls. It's been really good fun. Yeah, hope you've enjoyed it. And we'll be back next week, won't we, Hayley? We will. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. The Female Take on Football. 